Well, hey there, church. So glad that you were able to tune, with us, tune in with us today, whenever or wherever you may be tuning in from. And this morning or this afternoon, evening, whatever it is, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So I want to invite you to just grab your Bibles with me and take a minute to turn there. And uh, as you're doing that, the big idea for this morning is this. We're just going to dive right in. What about my purpose, right? Our purpose as followers of Christ is to be salt and light. Now, I know that seems overly simplistic, uh, and in many ways it is, but I would say there's so much there. There's so much for us to uncover, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to unpack that together. And before we do that, what I want to do is I want to ask you to ponder this thought or this idea. Have you ever found yourself in a meeting or perhaps uh, in a situation where information or a plan was presented to you that left you asking questions, right? Maybe it was a game plan from a coach or perhaps a financial uh, planner was sharing uh, some goals with you for retirement, your retirement. It could be uh, your teacher, your kid's teacher from school telling you how to homeschool for the next couple of weeks and you get the idea, right? But the at the end of the day, you're kind of left wondering, well, well, how, right? Like how, how am I actually going to accomplish this? Now, whatever the situation may be, whatever the plan may be, what I do know is this. I am fairly confident there's been a situation like that in your life where you're asking, well, what about whatever? Fill in the blank. And that's exactly what this next series is all about. What about blank? What about fill in the blank? Honest responses to complicated questions. And this series, in many ways, is a continuation of our series that we did in the fall called Read the Red. It was just before Christmas, and it was an in-depth look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. And now, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are quite possibly one of the more familiar passages of Jesus' teaching. For sure. But I would also argue that it's more than likely the most misunderstood as well. And while we certainly can't recap all of it, we're going to touch on some of it in just a moment. I want to invite you to take some time and to go to our website and actually scroll through and and take a look at some of those messages. You can get there by going to communitycovenant.church and in the navigation bar, just click on watch and then scroll down to the series titled Read the Red. I think there's also a link for it in the e-news that was sent out this past week. Now, here in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks, we see Jesus start with the Beatitudes. That's the first dozen verses of Matthew chapter 5. And in those verses, what Jesus is doing is proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom manifesto. It's a kingdom declaration. Through his life, he establishes the kingdom of God here on earth. Through the cross, he stakes it down into the ground. It's here to stay. And through the resurrection, what does he do? He, he breathes life. He breathes life everlasting. And he does this by conquering sin and death and and as doing so allows us to participate in the kingdom with him. Now you remember, you may remember from our series, if you were a part of the the series back in the fall, read the red, a graphic that looked like this. And, And this is the Beatitudes that we walk through week over week. But you'll see there's this emptying prior to this filling. And and what I love about this is this is really the life of a disciple. There's an emptying of self and then there's a filling. There's an emptying less of me, more of God, more of his way. Less of my way, more of his way. But this only takes place through the act of surrender. 
I love that. Surrender. A sweet surrender. In Jesus' inaugural address, which in many ways the Sermon on the Mount is, specifically the Beatitudes, because it is the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus lays out for us what it's like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. These are characteristics of a citizen, king, a kingdom citizen, excuse me. But here's the thing. We don't enter the, uh, the kingdom of heaven by anything we do, but rather what Christ has done for us. And the way we accept that is surrendering, saying that it, it isn't us, but it's all him. Now, in essence, what Jesus is doing in this inaugural address is, is laying out a game plan for us. And the reality is it leaves us asking, I would, if, if we're honest, probably more questions than we have answers initially, right? Yeah, that's, that's good, Jesus. Like, I, I, I hear you. I, I see it. That, it, that kind of makes sense. But what about whatever, right? Fill in the blank. And so that's what we're going to do over the coming weeks. What about, what about anger? And lust? What about marriage and prayer and anxiety and revenge? What about judgment? What about salvation? What about knowing God's will for my life? What about, what about my purpose? So th these are just a few of the questions that were left wondering after Jesus' inaugural address, after his kingdom manifesto. And, and that's why I believe Jesus, what he does after proclaiming the kingdom, is he goes on to teach the way of the kingdom. And that's where we pick up today, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And we're picking up with this idea, asking the question, well, what about my purpose? All right, I, I see all this, but what about my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? What is my mission? What is my calling? So with that, let's dive into Matthew chapter 5 together. I'm going to put it on the screen, so don't forget. I'm going to invite you wherever you are. Whenever you're tuning in to, to grab your Bible, maybe it's your phone or your tablet, turn to Matthew 5, and I want to invite you to stand with us, unless you're driving, don't do that, uh, stand with us, and I want you to read along. In fact, I want to encourage you to read aloud. You could be the only person, there could be five people in a room, no more than that because of social distancing, uh, but uh, just read along right with you. We're going to be in the New Living Translation. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for your word this morning. Lord, we ask that you be with us here and now, that uh, your words would speak to us, that your spirit would stir something up in our hearts, or that we may receive you, that we may receive your will for our lives. As we, as we, Look to answer the question, what about our purpose? What does it look like to be salt and light, dear God? So, Father, we ask that you be with us now. May your words ring out. May you be our senior pastor. May you be the primary teacher in this moment. We ask for your blessing on our time. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by whom all things are possible. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Well, when we look at these verses, Matthew 5, 
uh, going back this this first verse and then uh, verses 14, 15, and 16, we see two major metaphors and then, then another one. We see a city on a hill. But for the most part today, we're going to be looking at the metaphor of being salt and being light. Now, if we're not careful, I think when we read this passage, we can sometimes kind of skip over it because we think we understand salt and light. And in many ways we do, but we understand it in a current cultural context. Right? Like, even think about it this way. The, the way you view salt and light may be different than the way someone in a third world country does, no? Right? We have our own cultural circumstances, which are how we interpret Scripture. But what's really important is that we go back to the first century, that we go back to the original hearers of Jesus' words to try to understand what Jesus is actually saying so that we can actually apply that to our lives today. Yeah, we may understand salt and light now, but let's take a moment to try to understand salt and light then, as I think it's going to uncover something pretty amazing for us. So let's take a little bit of a deeper dive, a little bit of a deeper look into these verses, and see if we can uncover what I think God is speaking to us now, nearly 2,000 years after these words were spoken. What is God, what is the Spirit trying to share with Community Covenant Church in this moment in time? In the midst of social distancing, in the midst of quarantine, in the midst of uncertainty, what is God sharing with us right now? And I think you're going to be surprised. I'm excited for this. Now, in these four verses, Jesus is providing a very simple yet complex picture of what we as followers and potential followers, what our lives should look like. And if I could boil it down to one word, it'd be this. Influence. What should our lives as followers of Christ look like? should be influence, but not just any influence. Jesus is saying, you, my followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world for good. Not for your own good, but for God and for his good, for his glory. Jesus is calling on Israel. He's speaking to a Jewish audience here to be Israel, not just to be a nation with borders that protects itself, but rather to be Israel, to be God's people. And the way I look at it now is Jesus is calling his church to not just be a place that we gather, but rather to, to be the church, to mobilize, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, to be a place, to be a people that have influence. So you are the salt of the earth. Let's look at this first metaphor. And the first thing that jumps out at me is this, the word you. It sounds so simple, but here's why I think this is important. Jesus is declar- uh, making a declaration. He's speaking to his followers, mind you, all right? There's, there, there's crowds that are listening in, people that aren't his disciples yet, but Jesus is speaking to the 12. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. Right? He, he, he's not lumping himself into that. He's making a declaration. You are the salt. Meaning Jesus is giving a mission, a purpose, uh, a, a, a game plan to his followers. He's speaking directly to them. He knows the crowds are listening, but that's not who he's addressing. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to you. The second part of this metaphor that grabs my attention is the last word, earth. And the reason that grabs my attention is when we look at the next metaphor, you are the light of the world, we'll see that there's a different word there. And it's not just a different translation for the same word in Greek, it's actually different words. Ye and cosmos. The first word here, earth, literally translates in in Greek, it, it means land, like a specific area. 
whereas world is much more grand. Right? The word cosmos. Think of cosmos. Think of universe. It's, it's huge. It's huge. It starts small. It gets bigger, but then it gets small again. And, and I just want to encourage you to stay with me, and I think you'll see what I mean, and I think you'll appreciate it. But you got to stick with me all the way through to get it. All right? So, so with that, when, what, what then is the purpose of salt? Right? So you are the, we get that, of the, we get that. We don't have to talk about that, earth. All right? But let's look at the word salt. What, what, is, what does that mean? What are the, what's the common use of salt? And now surely, as a 21st century person, I would look at this and say, well, obviously it is for seasoning and flavor. And well, yes, that is not necessarily wrong. I would say it's, it's somewhat true. That's important. A quick reading of this passage would suggest that, yeah, we are called to be seasoning. We are called to be flavor to the earth. That's how the majority of us use salt today. But I don't know if that's the way the majority of people used salt 2,000 years ago. We're certainly called to add flavor to, to our lives and, and to the lives of the people around us, 100%. We're certainly called to make the earth a better place. But I think there's, I think there's a little more to it than that. Uh, I used to use salt strictly for seasoning and flavor up until a couple years ago when I became an avid meat... Uh, probably not avid. I, I like to smoke meat. All right, to smoke meat, all right, like uh, brisket and all those sorts of things. Uh, but it wasn't until I actually tried to make my own bacon, which was awesome, by the way, that I started to understand the purpose of salt in a whole new way. It wasn't just about flavor. It was about uh, a preservative. It was about doing something. It changes the meat and the, the structure of the meat. Salt has a pretty significant purpose in addition in addition to seasoning and flavor, but it, it preserves as well. I had to pack my meat with a ridiculous amount of salt so that the salt would, would penetrate into the fibers of the meat and it would draw out the moisture and it would draw out the bacteria so that it wouldn't spoil, so that what would naturally decay would decay no more. You see, before refrigeration, salt was extremely important. In fact, it, it literally meant life or death in some instances. It sustained life. Salt literally draws out the moisture in the bacteria that will rot the meat that you need to survive. Salt, in fact, it was so vital, it was so vital uh, to, to those in antiquity that wars were fought over salt. Economies were based strictly on salt. It literally made the difference between life and death when fresh food was unavailable. Salt was literally a form of payment for Roman soldiers. I want you to think about that right now. It, what if at the end of the week, instead of getting a paycheck, you got a little bag of salt? That's how valuable it was. Do you ever think about where the phrase worth your salt comes from? That's where it comes from. Salt was precious. Salt was valuable. So Jesus here is saying, you are you are the salt of the earth. You are precious. You are valuable. You are supposed to add flavor, but yes, you are supposed to preserve the world, the earth. We are called to be a preserving influence. But what exactly are we preserving as followers of Christ? What, what are we called to preserve? I would argue that we are preserving the church. I would argue that we are preserving God's plan A because the reality is there is no plan B. 
We are preserving God's means of delivering the gospel message to the ends of the earth. That's pretty significant. Seasoning, preserve, and then another thing is this, is it salt creates thirst. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. I think it's somewhat self-explanatory. But the reality is, salt of the earth, as salt of the earth, we are to create a thirst. Not a thirst for more salt, but a thirst for Christ and His living water. The only thing that is capable of quenching our spiritual thirst. Our lives should make non-believers want what we have. They should look at us and they should see Christ and say, I want that. I need that. Your life as a believer should make non-believers question their disbelief. I want you to think about that. Your life as a believer should make non-believers question their disbelief. I would go so far as to argue your life should create a healthy jealousy. Your faith should be something that is desired by other people. If it's not, there's something wrong. Our purpose as salt on the earth is to season, to preserve, to create thirst, to draw attention towards Christ and everything He has done and continues to do both in us and through us. We should make the world better, not worse. The community should be blessed by the church by Jesus' followers. The community shouldn't be condemned by the church. We should be known for adding flavor, for preserving, for creating thirst. That's why the church drove 450 miles last week delivering 150 Easter egg hunt kits to families all throughout our area to bring some joy, to bring some happiness. But here's the thing. While on one hand the church is doing that, on the other hand, and I'm not saying community coming, I'm saying the big C church, the, the church universal often, or sometimes, doesn't get it right. And when we get it wrong, let me tell you, we get it wrong. For every great thing that's happening, sometimes there's, there's something bad happening as well. And that breaks my heart. Because instead of uniting people for Christ, we, we tend to cast more division. Instead of drawing others towards Christ, we're, we tend to push people away. And that's what Jesus is calling out, calling us out at the end of this verse when he says, what good are you if you lose your flavor, if you lose your purpose? You see, salt can't become salty again. And in fact, when this actually happens, salt would then be used to make land barren. It would literally be sprinkled on roads or in fields where they didn't want anything to grow because it would suppress life from springing up from the ground. I want you to think about that for a second. What type of salt are you? You are the salt of the earth. You are. But are you salty? Are you adding flavor? Are you bringing joy? Are you preserving? Are you creating thirst? You are the salt of the earth. Now the second metaphor. You are the world. We already talked about you and the world, so we'll skip over that. Let's talk about what it means to be light. After Jesus first calls us the salt of the earth, he calls us the light of the world. And that, that's a pretty big responsibility if you think about it. Nowhere in Scripture do we see Christ compare himself to salt. But we do see him compare himself to being the light of the world. In fact, two times in the Gospel of John. 
And, and now he's looking at us, his followers, and saying, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I want you to shine bright in the world, not for your glory, but for his. But that's a, a powerful declaration. You are valuable. You are precious. You have purpose. We've already discovered that we're looking at the salt of the earth. But now you are called to be the light of the world. Now, when we hear this today, we can't help but think of a modern context where we walk to the wall and we, we hit a switch and a light comes on and everything's fine. Or when you're looking for something under the couch, you just grab a phone out of your pocket and you put the battery on and now all of a sudden you can see what you couldn't see before. But back then it wasn't so simple. To light up something, what did it, requ what did it require? It required a, a lamp. It required an oil lamp at that. And that oil lamp had to be filled with something. It had to be filled with oil. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. That means it had to be refilled, doesn't it? That would be recharged in the same way we need to be refilled by God or else what's going to happen? That light is going to inevitably go out. We could spend the whole sermon on this idea, but real quick, not only as followers can we not hide our light, like the verse tells us, but we need to make sure that our flame keeps burning that we keep refilling that lamp, that we keep replenishing that oil. And we do this by continually dying to self. If I was to go back to that graphic where we empty ourselves, uh, empty ourselves of self and we fill ourselves up with God, right? We have to continually do this over and over and over again by looking towards the cross in the empty tomb, tomb allowing Jesus to shape our lives. That is how we refill our lamp so that we can shine bright. Now, here, here's what I love. When you think about a singular light, by itself, it may not seem like much, right? But together, what happens? Together, what do we see? Have you ever been to a concert? All right, back in the day, I remember going some of the first concerts I went to, you would see the band would be playing somewhere near the end of the concert, and then everyone would take out a lighter, and they would hold up a lighter, and, and then the room would just fill up. Kids today, they're like, oh, what's the, the smartphone? And they all hold up their smartphones. Uh, but it looks something like this, right? It, it's amazing. What starts off as a singular light, all of a sudden it fills the entire, entire arena. And, and that little light, one by one, it begins to illuminate. And individually they cast something that seems small, but together they usher in a light that no amount of darkness could overcome. Think about Easter at the, uh, excuse me, Christmas, not Easter. Think about Christmas, uh, how we have that candlelight uh, sing at the end, right? The candlelight carols. And, and one by one, all the candles get lit and the room just illuminates. There is no amount of darkness that can overcome it. Cumulatively, what happens when we all allow our lights to shine bright is we, we put off a pretty big light. We're like a city on a hill. I once heard a pastor say this. I love this. Don't be a dimmer switch Christian. Right? Don't be a dimmer switch Christian, one who adapts her faith around their circumstances. Jesus, you, you see, he doesn't do this. He doesn't provide a set of circumstances or context in which we are to allow our light to shine. He just says, shine, shine bright and don't, don't cover it up. In Matthew 5 verse 15, he says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. I, I think the fact that Jesus even had to say this is remarkable, right? Like, wouldn't that be an obvious thought? But obviously, he's, he's saying, no, no, he's like, I, I need to make sure you get the point here. No one puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is what? It's placed on a stand where it illuminates the room. It, it gives light to 
everyone in the house. Now, I love this. I, I came across this passage as I was studying for this morning, uh, this quote by Charles Spurgeon, and, and this is what it says. Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians. Christians whose virtues would never be displayed. Pilgrims who would travel to heaven by night and never be seen by their fellow pilgrims or anyone else. There was no secret church. It wasn't designed to be that way. We're called to be a light that shines bright so that others may see. But I want you to hear me on this. We're not called to shine the light in their face. That's not helpful. Rather, we're called to illuminate the room. Go back to the verse for a second. We're called to illuminate the room so everyone in the house can see. Right? Shining a light in someone's face doesn't help anybody. It's not helpful if you do that. Right? If you have a flashlight and you're trying to get from somewhere to somewhere else, and it's the middle of the night or whatever, you don't get there by shining the light at the other person. What do you do? You put it down at the feet and allow it to direct your path. You allow that light to direct your next steps. You lead them with the light. You don't blind them by the light. It's useful as a light when it actually does that. Otherwise, it's harmful. In the same way, we are called to shine bright, to illuminate the room so that others are directed towards Christ, but we're not meant to blind them with the light so that it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, I, I want you to look at this. Everyone in the house. The word for house here may be a familiar one from our last series. The Greek word here is, is oikia. It comes from the word okio, uh, oikos. Okay? And it's your circle of influence. The people in your household, the people in your, in your sphere, if you will. So who's in your house? Who has God placed in your circle? In your sphere of influence? The reality is this, the place where you were called to be a light like a city on a hill, it starts in your home, in your oikos. You see, sadly, I don't think the problem with the church today isn't that we're not getting out into the community because I think we are. Now hear me, certainly we could do a better job at this. We could definitely do a better job at this. But I think we actually do a decent job getting out into the community and raising our light so that it shines bright. but here's where I think the problem lies. Is that we don't do it at home very well. If we're honest, I don't think we do it at home very well. We may light a lamp for our neighbors, but do we light one for our kids? We might light a lamp for our colleagues, but do we light one for our spouse? Now, I'm not suggesting it's an either or. The reality is I think it is a both and. However, the first place, the most important place that we are called to let our light shine is in our home. And now I, I want you to think about the context of what our homes look like right now. In quarantine, we are socially distanced. 
God is saying to us, to his church, right now, in this moment, what I want you to do is this. I want you to be a light that shines bright like a city on a hill, but I want you to do it in the context of your home. And he has given us an amazing opportunity to do just that. I want you to be a light that shines bright like a city on a hill, but it starts at home so that everyone can see. And, and here, here's the thing. I'm gonna, I want to be brutally honest with you for a moment. It's a lot easier to be a light that shines bright on Facebook than it is at your kitchen table. It's a lot easier to be a bright light on the street corner or the supermarket or getting gas wherever you may be than it is in your living room when tensions are running high after a long day. It is a lot easier to be a light essentially anywhere than it is in the quietness of your own room. That's a convicting thought. Now, maybe this is something that you're struggling with. Maybe not. I, I don't know. But I want you to think about this. Is, is the Spirit of God trying to share something with you right now? Is He trying to shine some light on some darkness in your life right now? Sometimes a little light in the eyes is painful. But I find that when the Spirit shines light in that way, it's not to condemn us, it's not to hurt us, it's because He so desperately wants us to have, oh, He just so desperately wants us to have what we don't. So what about, what about your purpose? What about your purpose? Right? Our, our, our purpose as followers of Christ is to be salt and light, to, to add flavor and goodness and to preserve and to create a thirst, a healthy jealousy, if you will, for Christ, is to be light, to be the light of the world, like a city on the hill, one that shine brights, one that illuminates, one that radiates the love of Christ. But the reality, what we can't miss in all of this, is that it all starts at home is that it all starts at home. God has this huge, grand vision for the world. But, but what I know is this, is that it starts in our hearts. If we want to see change in our houses, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, if we want to see change in our state, in our nation, in our world, we can't start thinking out there. we got to start thinking small. we got to start thinking our hearts. Now listen, I want to be super clear with you. The Sermon on the Mount, this passage, what I share with you today, I'm not telling you how to get right with God. Jesus isn't telling you how to get right or gain favor with God. That, you don't get right by, uh, with God by becoming more salty. Right? You don't get right with God by becoming brighter. That's, that's simply the fruit of being rooted, of being a life rooted in Christ. That's the call, the purpose for our lives, absolutely, that we should be salt and that we should be light, but we only get there through the work of Jesus Christ by acknowledging our brokenness, by emptying of ourselves and allowing Him to fill us up. When we keep our eyes 
fixed on him at the cross, on the empty tomb, through repentance and through faith alone, by turning our backs on our brokenness and keeping our faith fixed on him, uh, putting our trust in him and not in ourselves. That is how we get right with God. And when we get right with God, then we get to be the salt and light. But before we start being the salt to the earth and the light to the world, we better do it here first. We better do it here first. God is longing to do something amazing both in you and through you right now in your home and I would argue even beyond the walls of your home. God has a purpose and a plan for your life that you are to be like salt, that you are to be a light to the world. It starts small. It starts at home. So I want to invite you in this moment, in this moment, to accept that call on your life. It's a call that you can't live out on your own. You can't live it out apart from Jesus Christ. But what I do know is this, is that you are called to be set apart. And what sets us apart is the condition of our heart.